Tonight's reading is taken from Psalm 119, verses 17 to 40. Do good to your servant, and I will live. I will obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servants will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counsellors. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I recounted my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Let me answer, understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes, and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant, so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. Thus says the Spirit of God. Well, good evening. Uh, my name is Matt Fuller, um, one of the uh, staff here. And uh, it's lovely to see you. And uh, if you weren't here last week, we started a little series on uh, contentment. So uh, apart from uh, leaving aside a sort of normal practice of working our way through books of the Bible or, or sections of, we're taking four weeks to consider uh, one topic of uh, contentment. And um, there are lots of reasons for that, and we talked about them last time. Uh, but uh, if nothing else, because... Tomorrow is the third Monday in January, and statistically speaking, over the last 10 years, that is consistently the day of largest absenteeism in the UK, because, you know, Christmas is over, you go back to work, and that's okay, but then all of a sudden, ooh, it's dark, isn't it, and it's January. So um, if nothing else, hopefully by thinking of contentment, this should get you out of your beds tomorrow and to your workplaces, uh, and um, your employers will be thrilled with me uh, for that. We've prayed already, actually. The, uh, that marvellous song is a great prayer. But why don't, um, let me lead us in prayer one more time. Our Father God, how we need you to speak into our world so we know what's true. How we need you to speak into our lives for the same reason. And to give us the strength and the courage and the endurance we need to live for you. The power to change so that we live lives which honour you. We thank you that your spirit speaks words from the scriptures every time we open them. And please would he be at work now, speaking them into our hearts, we pray. Amen.
so very briefly, last time then, uh, we defined contentment a little like this. So contentment is a deep satisfaction in the heart that trusts and delights in God's fatherly care in every circumstance. And you'd have heard that last week if you were here. Contentment is a deep satisfaction in the heart, internally, that trusts and delights in God's provision, his fatherly care, regardless of circumstances or in every circumstance. It doesn't matter what's going on. Until last week, we, we talked a little bit about the difference between a, a, a true contentment and a false one. Think of it this way. Uh, you go to stay in a freezing house, absolutely freezing. Go to Norway or somewhere. It's very cold. Uh, it's a freezing house you're going to stay in. No central heating at all. All it's got downstairs in the lounge is one fire and everyone tries to huddle around it. And uh, you go to bed in this sleep, um, freezing house, and you wake up in the morning and you are cold. But, clever you, uh, last night you remember to put your clothes in front of the fire. So you go downstairs and put on your nice, ooh, ooh, warm clothes, and it's super. Apart from the fact that you are cold, it is cold outside, and very quickly they lose all their heat, and you're back to where you were once again. So for a little while it's good, but the heat goes and dissipates very quickly. Second little story. Um, you're staying in this freezing house, uh, and you haven't remembered to put your clothes uh, in front of the uh, fire, but it doesn't matter, because you yourself are hot. You are warm. So even though you put on cold clothes, very quickly your body heat warms them up, and they're fine, and they're cosy and they're toasty. What is all that? No, let me explain. <laughs> the first, then, that is a false view of contentment. I, there is something wrong with my life. If I can just, if I just add something to it, if I just change one area, one circumstance, if I, it's just relationships, if that changed, then everything will be well. Or financially, just a little bit more, you know, another hundred pounds a month, then all will be well. Well, that's just like putting on the warm clothes. For a while, it's lovely, but the problem is you. And you add your new thing for a little while, and for a little while it gives you a little boost, but fundamentally it doesn't work. The satisfaction goes, and you're, quite back to being, you're right back to being cold again. Whereas a true contentment, a biblical contentment, a deep satisfaction in the heart, that's the second scenario. It doesn't matter what life throws at you. You yourself are warm. <laughs> you are content, knowing that God is your Father. He loves you in Jesus Christ. And therefore, the circumstances of life, you put them on and they might chill you, and they might be unpleasant. But actually, your contentment in Jesus Christ changes how you feel about those circumstances. So there's a sort of a worldly view of contentment. Just if I add, there's just a little something I need to add or indeed take away from my life and all is well. Whereas a biblical view is, regardless of circumstances, I am content because I know who I am in Jesus Christ. I know I have a father who loves me and therefore I can endure this trial, this uh, affliction and actually recognize that God has some good for me in it. Okay? Very different ways of thinking. And so uh, we said last time also that uh, essentially what we're saying over the, over the next few weeks is the problem or why we lack contentment is we expect too much from this world. 
and we expect too little from Jesus Christ. That's the issue. That's the issue. And contentment comes where we expect less of this world and expect more from Jesus Christ. That's what we're we're thinking about. Tonight, then, we come to look at a little section of Psalm 119. And uh, all I really want to do tonight is... um, it's very straightforward. I essentially, essentially saying we will not be content unless we regularly meet Jesus Christ in his word. And I'm done. But I can go on, as people know. So um, uh, let me expand on that a little bit. We will not be content unless we regularly meet Jesus Christ <clears throat> Excuse me, in his word. So tonight I feel more than ever like a, uh, uh, a very good, don't mishear me, a very good uh, management consultant. Because I'm going to tell you something that is blindingly obvious, and you should have noticed yourselves, but you didn't. Or if you're a Christian, something which is blindingly obvious, and you know, which you, but you've forgotten. Well, you may not be a Christian, and then you may realize it for the first time. It's blindingly obvious, but you didn't notice it. Therefore, my advice is worth millions. Okay? And that's, that's a good consultant, isn't it? Often they come in and they say, look, you need to do this. And you say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's really obvious. Yeah, but you didn't spot it, and that's why you owe me... A uh, considerable amount of money. Okay. So that's how I feel this evening in particular, apart from there's no fee, which is nice uh, for one and all. So that's what we're thinking about tonight. We will not be content unless we regularly meet Jesus Christ in his word. Okay. Now, we're, we're based in Psalm 119. Uh, for, we're not going to do all of it. That will be a, a wonderful thing to do over a period of time. Tonight, we're just going to look at uh, one little section uh, the psalm itself has 22 stanzas for the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, so, and it starts off um, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, uh, Dalet, Hay, and on it goes. So A, B, C, D. There are all these stanzas of eight verses, and uh, every line of these stanzas begins with that letter. So, verse one, um, so verses 1 to 8, they all begin with A, Aleph. 9 to 16, they all begin with B, Beit, etc., etc., etc. But we're just going to really base ourselves in verses 25 to 32. And they all begin with Dalet, D, uh, this little section. Now, let me say again, as I did last week, I'm not really uh, sort of teaching this section of the Bible per se. Uh, I'm, just, I'm pulling out some themes because we're thinking topically. So this is not a sort of working our way thoroughly through the text. Just a couple of themes. And uh, really, I want to say uh, two little things. Uh, there's an outline on the back of your sheets, which is completely wrong. So uh, let me tell you what I'm going to say. Uh, essentially, how do we approach God's word? And then secondly, what are the benefits of God's word? Very simple. How do we approach God's word then, first of all? How do we approach it? Now, verses, uh, this little section of 25 to 32, it sort of breaks into two halves. So verses 25 to 28 are a desperate plea. Lord, help. So you see verses 25 and 28 are very similar. Verse 25, I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. Verse 28, my soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Essentially, life is not good. Don't know what the details are, but to be laid low in the dust, literally I am flat on the floor. Life has crushed me. Life is not good for this individual. I need, I need your word to do something to me to change me, to help me here. And then in between those two, verses 26 and 7 focus on the fact that really this is, 
It's essential to get God's help to do this. You do not do that on your own. So verse 26, I recounted my ways. You answered me. Teach me. Lord, teach me. I need you to teach me. Verse 27, let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Can you be, I can't do it on my own. I've got a Bible open and I don't get it. Teach me. Help me understand it. Let me say a couple of little things here. First, in this then, uh, what is God's role and what is our role? Let's try and break it down a little bit like that. Just in verse 27, which is a helpful way of uh, summarizing it. So verse 27, what is God's role? We need him to help us understand the teaching of his word. Our role, we meditate on his wonders. So God's role, we need him. We need him. Naturally, we, uh, we come to this book and uh, we may be able to understand the, the logic, understand the stories. We, we may be able to uh, articulate the Christian faith and explain it to other people. We may be able to do that even if uh, you're not a Christian here tonight. You may think, well, I get it. I understand the logic. I, I, it makes sense to me. But it won't have an impact upon us. We might understand the main argument of this little section, the Bible's good, uh, but it won't impact us, it won't change us, we won't care unless God is our teacher and God impresses that upon us. So uh, try and think of it this way. You are bizarrely, you're living in the 19th century, uh, early 19th century, and you meet a man you've never met before called uh, Ludwig van Beethoven. And you don't know who he is, uh, and he just, he's never published anything in his life. And he says, and you, say, oh, you meet him in a coffee shop, and um, you say to him, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm writing music. And you say, I don't, I don't understand that at all. Squiggles and wiggles uh, on a page. I don't get that at all. He said, well, I'd like to have this. It's, um, I've just finished uh, my ninth symphony. And here they are, one to nine. I think they're quite good. Um, but no one's published them yet, or no one, you know, so here, here you go, here are symphonies one to nine, what do you make of them? Well, I don't know, they're squiggles and wiggles. Um, and actually, the, you've got, what you have there in your hands is exceptionally brilliant, I mean, profound, uh, affecting, life-changing uh, in many ways, but you just don't get it. So you say to, uh, um, can I call you Ludwig? Well, most people call me Beethoven. Okay, Beethoven, can I call you that? Beethoven, can you teach me? Can you teach me, please? And so he teaches you to read music, and that's good. He says, okay, I get it now. No, 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 you just repeat it. Okay, you, repeat. you get that bit. And Okay, that's okay, but now, what does it mean? What are you trying to do here? What are you conveying? You've called it, you called this one a pastoral symphony. Why? What, what are you trying to, what are you, oh, okay. Oh, I get it. Okay. No, I, I feel that now. I can, I get that. And so the, the author of the music teaches you what it means. Not, not just a superficial meaning, but what it really means. So all of a sudden you can perform, conduct, with great intensity and meaning, you get it if he's your teacher over a period of time. Now, that's poor. 
But it's a little bit like how we approach the Bible. God has written these words. He's caused his spirit to oversee every single word that's here. We say, okay, they're words. They're squiggles and wiggles. Super. I can read English. Good. It's translated. That's a relief. Um, but, I, but I don't get it, really. Can you teach me? And God, by his spirit, says, yes. Let me explain what it means for you. Let me bring out the depth of it so you feel this truth. Will you be my teacher? So we come to God's word and say, well, look, I I get that it's a book and it makes sense to me. But can you open my eyes to see you clearly? Can you unstop my ears so I really hear what you're saying to me? I need your help. I won't do it on my own. Which is why it's not just, um, I hope you don't think, it's not just a mechanistic formula to, to pray before you open God's word. Either on your own or when we gather together. That's not just a, um, oh sugar, we've, you know, we've forgotten to do the thing we always do. Uh, um, oops. It's, it's just, we are saying, Lord, you, you've given us this book, but unless you teach us, it'll be superficial to us. It'll skim over our heads. We might say, yes, 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 I get that. I get the logic, really. But it'll have no impact upon us. And we might just miss the point altogether. We'll be blind to what it says. We'll be deaf to what is spoken. Unless God is our teacher. We need him to do that. So I don't know how you do it for yourself. But if you're a Christian and in the habit of doing this, if you're not, this may be completely foreign to you. But if you're a Christian and you're in the habit of reading the Bible or having a time with the Lord, how do you do that? I have to say, well, for, for every, for myself, uh, uh, in the morning, it is, it does always begin, Father, I need to hear you speak. I need to hear you speak. Because if, if I don't hear you this morning, I'll go into the day a grumpy fool, because that's my default setting. I need to hear you speak to me. And I'm not moving until, you, until, I know you, until I've got that, until I've understood something and I've understood what it means for me today. I need to hear you speak. So should we just, uh, we had it read, but I mean, the, the thing I always pray each every morning is verse 18 of Psalm 119. Lord, will you open my eyes that I, might see, that I may see wonderful things in your law? Will you do that this morning? Because actually, this is what I do for a living, and I kind of know what the Bible says. But this morning, Lord, will you open my eyes so I I see something and it impacts me? I understand it truly, and you bring it to my heart. Will you open my eyes so that you change me? That's what I want to happen. So God's role is indispensable. If, if, if If God isn't speaking these words to us, They'll just go over our heads. Uh, We might think they're beautiful. We might think they're clever. But they won't do anything for us. God needs to speak them to us. God needs to open our eyes, be our teacher, get indispensable, his role. But our role, our role, well, that's the second half of verse 27. Our role, then, we're still thinking how we approach uh, the word of God. Our role, verse 27, very simple. I will meditate on your wonders. Now, meditation is a biblical word. It's, it's not sitting cross-legged saying, om, that's a different thing altogether. It's not emptying your mind. It is filling your mind with the word of God. That's what meditation is in the Bible. It's thinking hard 
on a truth. And very striking, as we're thinking about contentment, throughout Psalm 119, delight, joy, is consistently associated with meditation on God's word. Two go together. So uh, very quickly, let me show you um, verse 15. Um, just a quick flick. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 15. I meditate on your precepts, consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. So delight, it's associated with meditation there. Verse 23. Uh, verse 23. Your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. It's consistently there. Just uh, one other uh, for now. Verse 47. I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love. I meditate on your decrees. Delight, joy, meditation. The Bible says they go hand in hand. If you want a life which is satisfied and content, I'm afraid there is no shortcut. Sorry. Regular meeting with Jesus Christ in his word meditating on what it says that's that's our role uh someone have heard this before it is sort of my favorite quote on, on this issue um i love it so hopefully you will do now if it's become an old friend but um uh, uh thomas watson said this oh, in the 17th century study study is the finding out of a truth meditation is the spiritual improvement of a truth the one, study, searcheth for the vein of gold. The other digs out the gold. Study is like a winter sun that has little warmth and influence. Meditation melts the heart when it is frozen and makes it drop into tears of love. You see what he's saying? You can read the Bible. You can have some useful study notes that will tell you that, you know, the main point of this passage is, uh, isn't it striking that... David, whatever, David loves God even when uh, his son is dying. That's striking, isn't it? Good. And uh, that's it. And you've, you've worked out what it says, and a tick, done, and off you go. And what you've got there is, well, you've been digging in your garden, and you found a piece of gold, and you go, oh, it's probably gold over there. Anyway, time for a cup of tea. Um, and you wander off, and you leave it there, and nothing happens. But he's saying... But if you see that there's gold, what you then do is you go, okay, well, I'm here for a bit longer now. Let's uh, take the jacket off. Where's the spade? Uh, That's broken. Uh, Okay, I'm going to dig with a fork. And you dig. And you dig. And you dig for it. Because if you know there's gold there, you think, that's pretty good. I want that stuff. And you dig to get it out. It takes a bit longer. It's harder work. You may work up a sweat if you're in your garden doing that. Um, if, if it happens to you, give me a call. I'll come and help you, and we'll split the... But um, uh, you see what he's saying? Or study, you work it, okay, the Bible... Okay, Psalm 119 says the Bible's good. Super, I've understood Psalm 119. That's another one I've got under my belt. Super. Well, that's, that's okay. Um, but it's like the winter sun. It's nice. I mean, if you were up and about this morning, nine, about nine o'clock to about half ten, Fantastic. It was winter sun. I mean, it's UK winter sun, so, you know, it's still 11 degrees or something, but still, oh, the sun. <laughs> um, it's super. It's nice. It's nice. But it's not the same as the blazing sun that melts things that are frozen. It's very different. He's saying, think hard about what's here. 
Now, look, what does that look like practically? I, you, may, you may read that and think, oh, that's nice. I have no idea what that looks like. What does that mean? Let me um, give you some other old advice. I reread this week a letter that um, uh, the reformer Martin Luther wrote to his barber in the 16th century, which is not as random as it sounds, because uh, Peter the barber uh, said to Luther, do you know what, I'm not very good at reading my Bible and praying. Can you give me some advice? He says, yes, I will, and uh, went away and wrote what is now 20 sides of A4. Um, it's an open letter which he published. Uh, what was it? I think it was just called... How One Should Pray, dedicated to Peter, my barber. And um, it's, a very, you know, it's all free on the internet. You can get it, 20 pages over. It's very good. And uh, one of the pieces of advice he gives to Peter, the barber, uh, is, okay, when you've read your Bible, pray four prayers, and you'll need to think before you can pray them. So you've read your Bible, and you've understood kind of what's there. Do pray four prayers. A prayer of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, Supplication. I, a prayer of adoration, praise you, Lord. Confession, I've messed up. Thanksgiving, you're wonderful. Supplication, help me to change. Now, what does they look at? Something, you do it with anything, really. But take verse, I don't know, take verse 25. Uh, you see, you think hard about verse 25. I'm laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. Okay. Now, how do I praise the Lord for that? Well, I can praise him for the power of his words. I mean, his words can preserve life. That's extraordinary. But I praise you that you can take someone who's laid low in the dust, speak a word, and transform them. That's, you're, you're, you're extraordinary. I praise you for that. I confess. I confess I ignore your word. I neglect it. I don't think it's very valuable. That's really stupid. I confess that. Give thanks. Thank you that you preserve my life. Uh, that... Actually, I, I read your word and I, I became a Christian. And so you've given me spiritual eternal life. And I've been a Christian for 40 years and you've kept me going. Thank you. That's extraordinary. And then a supplication. Please continue to do that. Please help me to treasure your word. Now, you may, that may not work for you. I have to say for myself, I read the letter to Peter the Barber, uh, a number of years ago. And actually, it slightly transformed my own devotional times because I just, okay, there's one thing, one thing, one thing I'm going to take away from this morning. I'm going to ask four questions of it. One is about God. One is about me. One is how do I thank him? And then there's another one to ask. for something. There are four questions I'm going to ask about this truth that I've learned this morning. And if I do that, I'm thinking, and I, it sticks with me. So come lunchtime, which I try and at lunchtime, I always think to myself, now what did I think about this morning? What did I read in my Bible this morning? Oh, uh, no, that was yesterday. Uh, oh, yes, oh, yes. Because if you've sort of played around with it in your mind and four things, it, it, it goes in. You've dug a little bit. It melts your heart a little more. You've got a bit more gold. So meditate. Now, obviously, what happens if my heart doesn't meditate? Sorry, Excuse me, what happened if my heart doesn't melt? So I, you know, I, okay, I said, well, I have another go. And I okay, go, so I'll try this sort of thing. And, um, oh, well, this morning, I, and it was all right, but I didn't sort of fly away on, you know, I wasn't, well, you're probably normal, is what happens. Because I, sometimes we meet with God, and uh, we read and we pray, and it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And we just 
leave whatever, the chair that we've read it in, it's, it's brilliant. But it's not like that every day, is it? Some days it kind of, it's okay. It just keeps us going. So it's, it's a meal, it'll keep us going. But that's okay. Because we don't read the Bible and pray, we don't meet with God just to work up feelings in ourselves. We do it for him. We do it because it's good for us and we need it. So if we don't feel wonderful, it's all right. It's not the end of the world. Sometimes it's great. Some days it's just sort of functional. That's normal, I think. What sort of ratio? I don't know. Um, but you're normal if it happens like that. So how do we approach God's word? Depending on him, I need your help. Lord, I'll get nothing from this without your help. Open my eyes to see wonderful things in your word. And then we think, meditate. Profound, huh? I told you, it's obvious stuff. Everyone knows it. If they've been a Christian a while, you should know it. But we forget. That's why it's priceless advice. That's God's role, our role in approaching the Bible. Let's think a little bit then, secondly, about the benefits of God's word. The benefits. Because sometimes we just need reminding. Let's be honest. Do you always feel verse 32? You wake up each morning and say, I'm going to read my Bible because I run in the path of your commands and you have set my heart free. Or do you think, no thanks, and slap the snooze button. Of course, you know, let's be realistic. Verse 40, how I long for your precepts. The thing I could, I just couldn't survive another day without reading the Ten Commandments through several times. You don't always feel that way. Let's be honest. Because we believe the lie that other things are more important. Or... We believe the lie that other things will bring us contentment. So let's just remind ourselves a little bit of some of uh, the benefits that are here. I, did, I was struck again the uh, uh, Luther's letter to Peter the barber. Uh, so he's writing this you know, hundreds of years ago. Um, I really enjoyed this line. Uh, he put in it. It is a good thing to let prayer be the first business of the morning and the last at night. Guard yourself against those false deluding ideas which tell you, wait a little while, I've got something more important to do first of all. I'll pray later, but what I really need to do now is attend to this business. And you think, hmm, humanity hasn't changed that much, has it? Still fairly consistent. But put it simply, there will always be, this side of heaven, a battle in our hearts. Because there's always the temptation to fill our time with other things. So when the alarm does go off, what's the first thing you want to do? Just get rid of it, throw it across the room, sleep some more. That's the first thing you want, just more sleep. But then, you know, I get up, and what's the first thing I want to do? Well, I'll put the kettle on, because I need something inside of me to get me going. But the first thing I do is, you know, put the kettle on, and then, um, and then it's, well, okay, there's my phone next to the kettle, and you think, okay, any messages overnight? Okay, and off we go. And, oh, no. And then, and then oof, and that's 20 minutes gone. Uh, and before you know it, it's 20 minutes. Hold on a minute. And, uh, gosh, the rest of the family's going to wake up in a moment. Oh, and nothing's happened. It's very easy to get distracted, of course. You know, over the last month, the ashes have been on disaster. <laughs> you know, get up in the morning, open my eyes to see just what the score is overnight. And, uh, oh, and then you read a couple of articles, 20 minutes gone. Disaster, disaster. And Luther rightly says, look, don't be so stupid. Don't be so stupid. So we need reminding the benefits of God's word are far more important than anything else that we're tempted to fill our time with. There are a hundred things to say, but um, let me put out four that uh, crop up here. 
four things. Uh, What will the word of God do? It'll preserve your life. It'll give you strength. It'll keep you from deceit. It'll give you freedom. Four little things, very briefly. First, then, it'll preserve your life. So verse 25, up at the beginning there. I'm laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. We said again last week, life has disappointments. There are great times in life. There are enormous disappointments and frustrations. And here the, uh, the writer is laid low. He's crushed. And he says, I need strength. I need your strength. Sorry, to preserve my life. I need your word to preserve my life. Do, you, do we get that? Three doors up from us, uh, uh, one of our neighbors uh, has, uh, has kidney disease. And uh, every morning, he, uh, an ambulance comes and takes him off for dialysis. He, uh, he's uh, in his late 70s now. So 6.30, pretty much on the nail, every morning, uh, uh, ambulance arrives. And uh, I don't know where they go. Takes him off for dialysis. Uh, and that's what he needs every day, every day, to have uh, his kidneys washed out. Funnily enough, uh, having chatted to him, he's never that tempted to give it a skip. So his alarm goes off and he thinks to himself, should I just lie in bed? Should I just skip the dialysis today? Well, yeah, I tell you what, I'd really like just to sit and listen to the ashes for half an hour. Let me see. Oh, that's very exciting. The school. How much? An hour's more play? Oh, brilliant. I just, you know, if I, it doesn't matter if I don't go for dialysis today. Funnily enough, he's never thought that. He's also got a wife there who basically says, get out or you'll die. Um, uh, so her encouragement, no doubt, is uh, helpful to him. Because it, for him it is life or death. And the psalmist says, I need your word to preserve my life. Otherwise, I'll, I'll, I'll drift from you. I might abandon you. I might just give up altogether. I need your word. It's a life preserver. Now, if we really think that, if we thought of it like kidney dialysis, would you give it a skip? We would not. It's our life. If I don't do it today, I'm dead. Now, it's a metaphor. Um, you know, don't panic. You know, if, you've, you know, if you didn't read your Bible this morning, don't think, oh, oh my God, this phantom what's going to happen? It's not, you know, it's not literally every day, but... Over time, of course, if we never meet with God, if we never engage with Jesus Christ in his word, we'll get weak, of course. It's our life. It'll preserve your life. That's what it does. (laughs) Second thing, it'll give you strength. It is our strength. So verse 28, my soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. He's weak. He needs strength. Or in the context of what we're thinking about, if we're lacking contentment, here is strength to give us contentment. What do we need? We need God to strengthen us. Does it by his spirit? We need the spirit of God to strengthen us, to keep going, to love God wholeheartedly, to serve him, to be changed, transformed. And the Bible is very clear that God's spirit will come and empower our lives as we engage in his word. 
So uh, many of us uh, midweek have been working our way through the book of Galatians. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 5 is a very clear, simple little verse on this. Paul puts it this way. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, because you believe what you heard? God God gives you his spirit because you hear God's word and believe it. So if you ever find yourself thinking, I want to change, God, will you change me by your spirit? Well, you need to hear the word of God and believe it. If you're thinking, I'm weak, I'm I'm feeble at the moment, I'm not not sure I can be bothered with the Christian life, you need the spirit of God to change you, and he'll do it as you listen to his word and respond with faith. God's power comes through his spirit as you hear his word with faith. That's how he works. So somebody, you know, I don't don't seem to have changed very much. Are you hearing God's word and responding with faith? I'm a bit, you know, I'm a bit, actually, I'm really malcontent at the moment. I'm not content. I'm chasing the wind. All sorts of, well, are you hearing God's word with faith, responding with faith? It's not, it's not right. It's not complicated. It's fairly simple. Yet too often we're like a, like a man who's, who's famished and in need of food. And he's really weak and he's sort of drifting in and out of sleep because he's so hungry. And yet he's sat at a banqueting table and all the food is there. And he says, I'm so weak. Oh, you know, it's so hard being a Christian. Or it's so, in the story, it's so hard eating. He said, what's your problem? Is the food there in front of you? Eat it. I know, I know, I can see it's there, but is that really going to help? Uh, yeah, if you're hungry, food generally, that generally, don't, that generally does it. We are too often like that. We, it's there. The word of God will strengthen us. Uh, it'll keep us from deceit, verse 29. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. So tempting to believe uh, the lies of sin, give in to deceit, and God's word opens our eyes so we see what is true from what is false. I uh, saw someone, I read one little thing this week, I thought the guy put it very well, that in our modern culture, he was writing in the 18th century, in our modern culture, it seems as if someone has stolen into the shop window and changed the prices on everything. So it's all wrong. This is because time in God's word is worth a fortune. It's priceless. It gives you things that nothing else can do. And yet it's valued at 10p. And all of a sudden, a brand new, okay, it's writing a while ago, a brand new horse is, um, is set at, I can't remember what he said, you know, a hundred pounds. Um, but you know, but everyone, the prices have swapped. And of course, how true that is in, in, in any culture. The wrong things are valued enormously. So, you know, how much, how much would you pay to sit and read the Bible for half an hour? Well, you can pay anything, which you can do at any time. And yet it's priceless. It gives you life, gives you strength, gives you the truth. It's priceless. And yet there's someone's changed all the prices around. This could become a habit uh, of the whole series. A little, uh, little Narnian illustration. Uh, the, uh, the Dawn Treader which we also looked at last week, but The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's a lovely scene in it. Uh, Lucy Pevensey, who's the younger girl, uh, it's only her and her, uh, uh, one of the brothers in Narnia, 
in the voyage of the Dawn Treader. She really wants to be her sister, Susan, her older sister, Susan. So in the book, Lucy is, I can't remember, Lucy's about 14, Susan is 18. And Susan has gone to America. And uh, she knows from Susan's letters that men are chasing her and interested in her. And she wants to be Susan, and she's discontent. And she's, she's slightly obsessed. If only I was as pretty as Susan. If only I was as attractive as Susan, my life would be transformed. And then, as you may have find in your life, she finds a book of magic spells. Um, <laughs> and one of them includes to become beautiful. Uh, and so she says, she, she, rips it, she says this spell to become beautiful. And as she imagines Susan, and so as she's looking in a mirror, her features are changed. And she, start, she looks like Susan. And she's sort of sucked into this mirror. And there she is. She's in America. And her men are fawning over her and asking her, asking her to dance. Um, and it's very exciting. And yet she knows there's something not right. She knows there's something not right. Uh, and she's not, but she's being pulled into the mirror and into this world. And she's uncertain. She's not, she, she's being pulled in more and more and more. And then all of a sudden, Aslan comes and roars and roars. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the dream is broken and the spell is broken. And she's, oh, and she's back on her bed in her bedroom. And what a relief. And uh, it's a, one of C.S. Lewis's little vignettes. You do stupid things. You start to believe that if only, if only I looked like Susan. Not my own issue, personally, but um, if only, if only I had just a new car. If only, if only. And what the word of God does is Jesus Christ comes and roars in our face. No, don't be so stupid. Uh, oh, yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. It stops us from believing deceit and lies. Wonderful. Gives us truth. Gives us life, strength, truth. Last, lasting briefly. Freedom. So verse 32, it gives us freedom. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Gives freedom. Chasing contentment in the trappings of this world is enslaving. Now, don't mishear me. I, I love this world, and I love my life in this world, and many things are wonderful, and, you know, uh, families are great, and holidays are great, and cars are useful, and jobs can be satisfying. All those things are good. But thinking that they will provide your contentment, that your circumstances will provide your contentment, as we thought last time, it's enslaving. Because you, you reach rung number one, but then you want rung number two, and rung number three, and rung number four. It's enslaving. God's word brings freedom. It brings freedom. And in particular here in verse 32, it's the freedom of relating to God. So I run in the path of your commands because you set my heart free. What he's describing here is the freedom that comes of knowing that God loves you. So this side of the cross, to put it more vividly in language that he wouldn't have quite understood, here is the freedom that comes from knowing that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God is delighted with you. He loves you. It's not down to your performance. It's not down to how, good, how, you're, how you do on the goodometer. It's not if you score 10 out, you know, on the scale of naught to obey, you get a 9. It's not about that. God is satisfied and accepts you because of Jesus Christ.
which means then you can approach his commandments and enjoy them. See, if you take the Ten Commandments as one example. If you're not a Christian and you read them and think, I have to do these for God to accept me, they are burdensome because you don't. Who's ever, prevented, who's ever lived a life without coveting? You'll never do that. They're burdensome. But once you know that you're forgiven, you come to them and think, as a forgiven person who God loves, I'm going I'm to do my best to keep these because I want to be like Jesus Christ. Because I want to honor Jesus Christ. And I'll make mistakes, but that doesn't matter. My heart has been set free, and so I can really enjoy doing the best I can to obey. Freedom. Real freedom. My heart is free, and now I run. So benefits, there are many. With four, we could go on at least 22. We could go on for uh, all night. Four little, four little things. The word of God will give you life. It will preserve your life. It will give you strength to keep going, to change. It'll give you the truth, keep you from deceit. It'll give you freedom. Because it'll bring you Jesus Christ, will set you free. And nothing else does that. Nothing else does that. Those are good things. And they're there. They're here. Don't have to look hard for them. Don't have to look far for them. They're here. You see the change that the word of God makes to just this one man's life, just in these uh, eight verses. Verse 25, I'm laid low in the dust. Verse 32, I'm running free. What's the difference? Father, open my eyes to see wonderful things in your law, and I'm going to think about them and meditate them. And his life is transformed. It's not complicated, is it? But we need to believe it'll give us our life, strength, truth, freedom. It does do all these things. Contentment. We need to meet with Jesus Christ regularly in his word. I can't remember whose phrase it is. It's a great phrase. If you're a Christian, you leak. You leak. You leak contentment. It just sort of leaks out of you. It does out of everyone. Uh, But we leak. And what we need is we need topping up. We need to meet Jesus Christ in his word. We need him to speak to us. No different to any other relationship. No good saying, my marriage is all right. I had a great conversation with my wife three years ago. It's great. Well, you know what? It may not be that great. You may be deluding yourself. Now, it's only a... This is slightly impressionistic and subjective. But why, why focus on this one area as part of contentment? Let me be honest. It seems to uh, me and one or two others if they're chatting... Christians spend less time with Jesus Christ. I think as a congregation, we spend less time than we used to. I think five years ago, if I asked people, how much much time do you put aside to meet with God and and read, uh, hear him speak to you and speak back to him? How how much time do you do that? Well, I don't know. Three or four times a week for half an hour. Okay. And I think now when I ask people, it's more a couple of times a week. 20 minutes. I'm, I'm busy. Life has just got busier. Yeah, life does that. <laughs> Often. But you leak. I leak. And if we want our lives preserved, if we want strength, 
If we want the truth rather than believing lies, if we want freedom, we've got to keep coming back. Our hearts may not soar. Our hearts may not melt every day. Some days they will. But we need God to speak to us. We need to meet with him. We need to hear him. Lord, please open my eyes to see what is true. And the lovely words of uh, Psalm, oh no, it's gone, Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, then we may sing for joy and be glad all our lives. It's a great summary. Psalm 90, verse 14, that is. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, then we may sing for joy and be glad all our lives. Meet with Jesus Christ. That's the way for contentment. It'll grow contentment in your life. Nothing else will do that. Meet him. Engage with him. As he speaks in his word, let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, you know well our hearts, and you know our temptation is to believe lies. We're we're so quick to believe that it's far more important to have just five more minutes in bed. It's far more important to open up the newspaper, open up our computers. It's far more important. But we need your truth. We need your truth spoken into our lives. So please persuade us afresh that as we meet with you and you breathe life into us, you speak to us from your word, you are preserving our lives. You are giving us strength. You are keeping us from believing lies. You're giving us truth and you're giving us freedom. Would we cherish those things? Would we dig for the gold? And would we therefore find satisfaction in you? Amen.